Edmund Burke, the great statesman, writer, philosopher, once said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Well, he would have found himself right at home in 2022's America, where evil reigns and the righteous just sit there wringing their hands. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity, uh, though maybe not for long, as we'll discuss later. Uh, the show where Nikki and I discuss the events of the week, what's going on in the world, with a focus on how we can live a life that's centered on Christ in a secular world. Um, so today, hopefully, um, we're going to get to actually discussing envy, one of the seven deadly sins. But before we do all that, is there anything you would like to say? Yes. Um, just pray for us. We really need wisdom and patience. Anybody who has kids, teens or nearing the teens, it's just been very trying. Um, I'm sure I was a pain as well <laughs> as a teen, but yeah, I, yeah, just pray for us. It's very hard right now. And other prayer requests is we're going to be meeting with the real estate agent and looking at houses finally. So just pray we make wise decision because you know how they always want to show you houses that are just at your budget or a little over your budget that we won't be tempted to um, choose something that we didn't, we don't need because you already have it in your mind, like what you want. And then you want something better once it's shown to you. And like, I didn't even want that until they showed it to me. Like, I just don't want that to happen. I want us to, to stay focused on what is our needs. And we're not willing to go any higher. We won't be sucked into that temptation. <laughs> no, definitely. And yeah, pray for us because the market we're in is brutal. Uh, it's so expensive outrageously expensive and we don't want to be trapped there so we're actually looking for houses that are quite a distance away from where I work but it's actually in a place where there's reasonably priced houses so we're trying to yeah. see if it's um, beneficial to us you know longer travel distances but more affordable you know so we're weighing all <laughs> those options and really we just want God to put us where is yeah. best for us so I know really looking your prayers the gas prices continue to go up. It really is something you take into consideration more and more. Yep. <laughs> so that's something we're doing this weekend. Also, uh, I've asked you guys plenty of times to pray for my brother's business. Uh, it's really gaining traction. Just had some good work done this week with more to follow. So that's a blessing. Please pray that that would be successful and joyful for him. And then also, we're debating changing the name of this podcast, which is probably like Podcast 101. Don't do that. But, <laughs> you know, the name means a lot to me. Uh, the reason we chose the name is because it was important to me. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very influential in my faith walk. And I still, to this day, I feel like he is the pastor that we need to be looking at, the lifestyle that we need to be living um, in this crazy world. But, you know, it's not very uncommon and it happens quite frequently where we're constantly getting the question of what does it mean? Like, what's the name all about? Why? 
And I don't want people to be led away from what we're trying to talk about and do because the name is mm-hmm. confusing. And I get that it's confusing. I knew it was when we picked it. Uh, but I don't want that to be, you know, a stumbling block. So we just had another person today was like, or this week was, you know, asking me, Hey, explain the name. Where does it come from? Can I read more about it? What does it mean? And I thought, okay, like maybe it's time. So we'd love to hear from you guys. If you're not already joined with us on social media, please come do that. Maybe discuss this with us. If you got some ideas for names, I've got some that I'm pondering, but we would just like to hear from (laughs) you guys before we do something um, irrational. And if you think, no, stick with the name because we like it, then we want to hear that as well because I also like the name. So (laughs) just, yeah, come join us on social media, Discord, wherever. Let us know your opinion. We'll probably put a question out there on our Facebook group and see if anybody has any insight that they care to share. Mm -hmm. Um, So before we do our weekly dive into the uh, Valley of the Shadow of Death, I do want to encourage um, all of our listeners, as I did last week, and I will probably for the foreseeable future, to go and check out Cardinal Solutions. I mentioned them last week. There'll be links in the show notes for their website, but If you're a sentient being at all, and you didn't just wake up from a 30-year coma, um, you know the world's on fire. And Cardinal Solutions can't put the fire out, but they can help you not get burned. So, you know, if you're a church that's looking to have a game plan against crazies, you know, running through your front door, uh, or you're sending missionaries to dangerous places around the world, you know, you don't have to figure out how to reinvent the wheel. Cardinal has a plan. Uh, that they can help you in these areas and so many more. You know, they're working in, in counter messaging and exploitation. They've got their, you know, high threat environment awareness training, pre-mission, post-mission, whatever it happens to be, they can help. So go check them out. And I don't even care if you tell them that I sent you. Uh, just go and check them out because I think it'll be beneficial for you. So. As we mentioned earlier, um, we're going to try to get to Envy today. This is our third deadly Mm -hmm. sin that we're talking about, fourth episode in this series, but it's on the third sin. Mm -hmm. So if you care to check out sort of our deadly sins overview episode or our previous two episodes on vainglory and avarice, you can find those on the channel. Go give them a listen. And uh, while you're doing so, consider following us, subscribing us, or subscribing to us, whatever your (laughs) platform uh, asks of you. And then drop us a like if you're on YouTube and consider leaving us a glowing review because we would certainly appreciate that. Uh, But the reason that I hope that we can make it to Envy, I'm not sure if we will, is that there was just a ton of news this week that I really wanted to talk about normally, or not normally, but a lot of weeks, you know, we're kind of dragging the to find stories that we actually think are worth discussing. But this week, I felt like there was just so many news stories that, you know, I thought had value. So we'll see if we actually make it to Envy. You're obviously watching this now and we've uploaded the video. So you'll know if we decided to talk (laughs) about Envy. Um, But here we go. So the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Um, But we do have a spot of good news. At the end of this, we will finish. It's not the normal crap sandwich where we, you know, do good, 
awful good. There's not enough good going around. So it's going to be a whole bunch of awful with a little bit of good at the end. Um, So if you're going to go wading in the warm waters of the lake of fire, um, you might as well just jump in and start with politics. So in the world of politics, if you want to read this first story, honey. Yeah, it reads... Uh, President Joe Biden is expected to sign an executive order on Wednesday directing the federal government to move forward with the development and implementation of a digital U.S. dollar. Uh, Biden's executive order, which is also expected to address outstanding issues uh, the federal government has pertaining to cryptocurrencies, will require the Treasury Department the Commerce Department, and other key agencies to prepare reports on the future of money, especially CBDCs or central bank digital currencies, Reuters reported. Yep, so this is a topic that we've sort of been talking to you guys about for at least a month now or so for the last Mm -hmm. couple of episodes. And I bring it up again because I don't want you to be led into thinking that this is some kind of positive endeavor. You know, like if you're looking at it and like, oh, well, crypto is great. You know, Bitcoin's making people rich. So this is probably pretty good, too, Um, because this is not that. And central bank digital Mm. currency should send chills down your spine, um, if I'm being honest, because that's what it does for me. It to me, it gives me the sense of being backed into a corner. Yeah. Um, because what you don't the, want them to have more control. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what this is. This is total control over your finances. This is, there is no more hiding money under your mattress <laughs> with this. This is total control. So if you want to read more of this article. Yeah. The next yeah. little bit of this. Um, officials in the Biden administration said that wide-ranging oversight of the cryptocurrency market, which surged past three, uh, $3 trillion in November, is essential to ensure U.S. national security, financial stability, and U.S. competitiveness and stave off the growing threat of cybercrime. And analysts reportedly view uh, the long-awaited executive order as a pressing acknowledgement of the growing importance of cryptocurrencies and the possible risks they pose to American and global financial systems. Yeah, and that last little bit there, the risk they pose to American and global financial systems. Um, yeah, it poses a risk when our antichrist leaders around the world don't have their grubby fingers on every last penny you've ever made. Mm. Um, and we may have talked about this before, but the idea with these central bank digital currencies is, I mean, this, I feel like it's all sort of like leading to this idea of social credit score type things where, you know, if your credit, your your social credit score isn't good enough, you don't get access to your money anymore. If they don't want you Mm -hmm. buying that big V8 truck, well, your digital currency just doesn't work there anymore. You have to go green now. Um, You can't, you know, all these sorts of things, they control your money. If we fall into a situation like we are now where, you know, there's inflation or um, depressions on the horizon, well, they can just take your money because it's just, it's digital now. All they have to do mm-hmm. is just go in and click a few buttons and their your money is theirs now. So 
it's terrifying to me. Um, well, it reminds me of that article that we're going to share or one of the points on it. It's like, you'll own nothing and be happy. Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> talked about, um, you know, Dr. Evil Klaus Schwab, the leader of the World Economic Forum. Um, yeah, that's that's one of his famous quotes. But this story is going to tie in um, with our sort of sermon recommendation at the end of the uh, episode today, which is less of a sermon and more of just a talk, but it's still yeah. very good and very pertinent to uh, this story yeah. in particular. Um, but anyways, yeah, Woo. we got the politics out of the way and we can move on. That's not the last political story, is it? Dear God, have mercy on us. There's more from the world of politics. So if you want to read this next headline, honey, yeah, from Blaze, it says hundreds of news organizations were paid uh, by the federal government to advertise for the vaccines as part of a comprehensive media campaign. According to documents the Blaze obtained from the Department of Health and Human Services, the Biden administration purchased ads on TV, radio, in print, and on social media to build vaccine confidence timing this effort with the increasing availability of the vaccines. The government also relied on earned media featuring influencers from communities hit hard by COVID-19 and experts like White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci and other academics to be interviewed and promote vaccination in the news. Oh, I mean, yeah, of course <laughs> they they bought ad spots on CNN and MSNBC. I mean, who would? Yeah, of course. it. I'm, yeah, they did on Fox News, too. Yeah. You know, our beloved, the Christian News Network, Fox <laughs> News. Give me a break. So, you know, why have you been seeing Dr. Fauci's face? Although, oddly, we haven't seen him since Ukraine and Russia started right. going to war. There's a new crisis on the horizon. We don't need this Fox hasn't happened anymore. for a long time. It used to be like a crisis and then they'd quickly move on. And then it was like COVID happened and then that lasted forever. And there was never anything new. Like they had to find a way to move on. I remember when everybody thought COVID was going to go away. Like, like, Oh, there's not a new crisis for two years. (laughs) Well, yeah. But if you're wondering like, why did they keep pushing Dr. Fauci out there? Why did all these news networks have Fauci on? Well, the government was paying them to, they were Mm -hmm. pushing them out there. Um, you know, everybody knew this already. (laughs) Right. But it's actually stunning to see it, like to think about what this was. So basically Mm -hmm. the federal government took your money because all they have is our tax dollars. So they took your money and bribed the news media that you trust to with influencers and promotion to promote a pro-vax agenda that over half the country didn't want or believe in. So they're pumping like they're basically using your money to propagandize you. Yeah. What fools we are. (laughs) Like, it's insane. And what's crazy is we just talked a story or talked about a story two weeks ago, maybe, that they did this exact same thing with pastors. Yeah. You know, we saw that with the the Francis Collins, um, you know, the government henchman from the NIH who went to all of sort of the national church figures, the Tim Kellers mm-hmm. and the Rick Warrens, and had those guys convince church leaders and Christians around the country, you know, on the whole mask mandates and social distancing, closing your doors, vaccines. So they not only did this to our pastors, which is immensely shameful, but then all the news agencies that you trust 
they were pumping out advertisements, paying off your uh, beloved news anchors, and they were all getting the cut. Everyone except you, even though they're using your money to do it with. So it's shameful. I mean, there is no, I guess there's no depth that our government won't sink to. It's just that money is a really powerful tool. Oh, yeah. These, and the news media, like, I was hearing somebody today, I believe, talk about it, you know, how apathetic and really just pathetic, you know, the Christian conservative side of the house is where, you know, our whole, our whole playbook is we're going to sit home, listen to Fox News and vote GOP every two years. And somehow we assume that's going to change anything, even though it's done nothing but drag us down into this disgusting hole that we're in. But that's our... That's our political activism. Well, I watched Hannity and then I voted for Mitt Romney. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like these people, and it's not everybody, obviously, but Fox News is impl- or implicated in this. Newsmax, I think it was, or um, let me see what it says here. Yeah, Newsmax. I mean, those are some pretty, I think, conservative outlets there. But so these people... Just the same. So if you want to complain and rail against CNN and MSNBC are so biased, yeah, so is your news media as well, um, if that's what you're listening to. So just disgusting. But just in case you're still uncertain whether our politics and our politicians are just the Ken and Barbie dolls of Beelzebub, <laughs> this story just released from Project Veritas. So if you want to read this, honey... Yeah, the title says Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times reporter, uh, January 6th media coverage, overreaction, FBI involvement, event was not organized despite ongoing narrative. And it reads, Project Veritas published a a bombshell video on Tuesday showing Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times correspondent Matthew Rosenberg speaking about the events of January 6th, 2021, in a way that contradicts his own reporting. Yeah, so some of the highlights, and you can see this video here. And as always, these links will be down in the show notes. You can go, um, you know, if you feel like puking up your dinner, you can go read this yourself but uh, or watch that video. Some of them, it says, New York Times national security correspondent Michael Rosenberg contradicts his own reporting. There were a ton of FBI informants amongst the people who attacked the Capitol. That's strange. We've been told for a year there were none. How bizarre. He goes on, uh, it was like me and two other colleagues who were there outside and we were just having fun, having fun at an insurrection. We were told it was an insurrection. The whole Republic was hanging in the balance and they were having a good time outside. That's bizarre. Um, He says, I know I'm supposed to be traumatized, you know, but uh, all these colleagues who were in the Capitol building are like, Oh my God, it was so scary. So he's mocking his colleagues who thought it was scary because he was having such a good time. Um, he says, I'm like, come on. It's not that not the kind of place I can tell someone to man up, but I kind of want to be like, dude, come on. You were not in any danger. Well, no, surely we were. We were told we were in grave danger. I remember January 6th, the anniversary was just a few weeks ago. Mm. And they were remembering how how close we were to a total collapse of the Republic. I mean, they had to impeach a president for this, right? They wanted to impeach Trump again. 
Um, so he goes on to say some foul words here that we're not going to read. He says they were making too big a deal. They were making this an organized thing that it wasn't. That's funny. We've heard for an entire year that Donald Trump organized this. How can he say that it wasn't organized? Hmm. A Pulitzer Prize winning reporter from the New York Times. And then I love this last line here. He says, will I stand by those comments? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, what a man of courage Michael Rosenbaum or Rosenberg is. Like, he ain't standing against anything. What he's going to stand behind is what he's told to stand behind, yeah. like all the goats. <laughs> he's not so... I love it, too, because he's trying to, like, this last line, absolutely, I'll stand behind this. When just a few lines earlier, what does he say? He goes, it's not the kind of place that I can tell someone to man up, but I want to. I want to be like, dude, come on. So he's even saying here, like, oh, I want to say some things, but I know my boss wouldn't like it, so I'm not going to say any of that. But then at the very end, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll stand by it. No, you won't. You're a coward. Ah, these people, they're just the worst. Yep. So like if you're hearing this and you think, I don't get what the big deal is. Well, this is a large part of the narrative that was used to steal the election. How dare you? President (laughs) Biden won 80 million, 81 million votes. We all know that. Um, Yeah, I just had to. Yeah, we know it. I know. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think this is huge. This is like they said in the headline, a bombshell report. I mean, we've been hearing for a year, right? This is why Donald Trump, you know, this was a major thing that they used against Donald Trump and they're still trying to use against Donald Trump. And here's a guy coming out and going, yeah, man, the whole thing was kind of overblown and made up. It wasn't organized, just a bunch of random people. The FBI was all in the mix, getting people riled up and fired up, which we all sort of knew, Yeah. but his company these news media outlets that our government buys off, apparently, they've been telling us for a year, no, 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 it was Trump. He was behind it. This was well-organized. These people were violent extremists. They were trying to overthrow the republic. Nope, none of that was true. Um, so I just wanted to make the point again on this story. I'd probably make it every week, and I'll make it every week as long as it's true. Uh, our media, media and political class in this country, they are just propaganda mills. That's all they are. They are not news outlets. They're propaganda mills. Um, And I think this story is alarming only Mm -hmm. that it got out. Yeah. Not that it happened. We all know that this is happening, but that it got out is pretty alarming. So kind of the same thing, if you tie this back to the government funding of the COVID propaganda on all the major news outlets, because this isn't just a one-sided thing. You know, it's not like, oh, liberals are bad and Republicans are good. Like, you would be a fool if you believe that, and Christians should not be fools. Um, we have to strive to not be fools. They're all wicked. They're all liars. Mm-hmm. They're all propaganda mills. They just pick a side. Hey, you're going to go get the uh, Christian conservative base riled up. We'll go get the, uh, the crazy anti-Christ liberal wing riled up, and then they'll just hate each other. We'll cash them checks all day, and uh, we'll just take vacations to Martha's Vineyard and while they're burning cities to the ground. Lovely. It's crazy. So anywho, as we transition away from politics today, um, and as any good transition should pull you from one topic neatly into the next. So we (laughs) will uh, 
saw this story here from the Christian Post, sort of blending political news and Christian news. Yeah, this one is. So if you want to read that headline and this paragraph. Hmm. He says, beware of false prophets. Lessons from a pro-choice pastor in the U.S. Senate. Yep. So we're going to skip down a little bit on this, but if you just want to read this. It says, well, even before joining the U.S. Senate, uh, Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock, as he likes to be referred to. Yes, his highness would prefer you to call him <laughs> Senator Reverend because his pride needs to be stroked. Yeah. Okay, so he, uh, he was staunchly pro-choice. His campaign website proudly notes, Reverend Warnock has been an advocate. It is Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock. Sorry. Do not disparage <laughs> the man. Uh, uh, he has been an advocate for women's health and reproductive justice his entire life and is proud to have been endorsed by N-A-R-A-L. Did you find what that stood yeah, for? Narel. 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 I know what it is. It's basically just a pro-abortion lobby. I'm trying to okay. get what the actual, uh, what does NARAL stand for? Anyways, keep going. I'll find it. Okay. So NARAL and Planned Parenthood Auction Fund. Moreover, Warnock is a three-time graduate of Union Theological Seminary in New York City. As I've noted before, Union Seminary is theologically very liberal for the 2022 one, 22 academic terms. Students have the option to join the Queer Caucus, the Seminarians for Reproductive Justice, and Transgender Nonconforming. Caucuses are inactive this semester. Boy, doesn't that sound mm. like a great seminary. So NARAL stands for the National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws. So they're just a pro-abortion lobby group, basically. Um, mm. But if you've listened to us and wondered why we're so hard on American Christianity and uh, doubt why we doubt that America is actually as Christian as some like to say, this is why mm. uh, this man yeah. and those in his congregation would be considered Christians as well, right? This is a Christian pastor, Reverend uh, Ralph Warnock, yeah, and what his large <laughs> congregation, and he's the pastor of a very large congregation, um, Ebenezer Baptist Church. And I believe he's still the senior pastor of Ebenezer. There's the honorable senator. Well, I'm sure Reverend. more people come to his church now. He's the senator. Well, and he's <laughs> the uh, reverend of a very historically famous church. Um, it's the Ebenezer Baptist Church. This is the heritage of Martin Luther King Jr. This was the church he, um, I think, was, uh, I can't think of the term right now. What was it? Not commissioned, but where he basically became a minister was hmm. here. Maybe um, that's right. Yeah, so for 16 years, um, he's been the senior pastor at this church. And for 16 years, these people have sat under what I would consider the teachings of a false teacher, um, a progressive pseudo-Christian. And look, in my opinion, I don't think you can be a serious Christian and be endorsed by the likes of NARAL and Planned Parenthood. 
you know, in my opinion, if Satan likes you, if he's a fan of what you're doing, I'm not sure God's on your side. And there are probably no two greater sort of representations for like wickedness in this Mm -mm. country than Planned Parenthood um, and NARAL. So, you know, what's wrong with American Christianity? And I would say especially African-American Christianity, Ralph Warnock. (laughs) To me, that's what it sounds like, these types of preachers. I just wonder, where's their assurance of salvation within themselves? Like, No, I mean, I... I don't know how you can call yourself a minister, a reverend, a pastor, a man of God who studies the scriptures and you come away with, I'm pro-choice. Yeah, I'm all for women killing their babies. I don't believe that God knew you before you were born, knitted you together in your mother's womb. I don't believe in a soul. Yeah. I don't, none of it, but I'm a reverend. And we've discussed, as the article mentioned, we've talked about Union Theological Seminary before. It's a super liberal, I mean, it's basically a place where you go to learn social justice and get draped in a Christian garb. That's essentially all it is. Uh, A woke social justice, you know, covered in Christianity, basically. But um, yeah, I mean, as they talked about in there. Transgender non-conforming caucuses. Yeah, that sounds like a real Christian seminary. Queer caucus. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Reproductive justice. Um, yeah, so super liberal. Um, and I even wanted to make the point that this very, uh, the Honorable Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock, somehow as a man of God, he decided it was a much more valuable position to be a senator than a pastor. It is really strange. Uh, no, <laughs> no, it is not, especially in the wicked world we're living in. Because you're serving you're the world. Because you're looking after the affairs of the state, which includes looking after what unbelievers want. Like, how do you give everybody else what they want and take care of the sheep? Like you can't be over, you can't be divided like that in your care. Like, But I guess if you're already sitting under his leadership in that congregation and you've already accepted the false teachings, then you're just like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. I guess it's cool to have no. a senator as a I mean, pastor. Like people who are like pro-abortion and women's rights, they just hate women and children. That's what it comes down to. Well, they just really hate. It's a, I, the I, image of God. They just want to stop it. And I would imagine they see biblical womanhood as oppressive. Yeah. yeah. And I guess maybe in that sense, God is oppressive <laughs> because he gave them that role. Um, so, yeah, I, I would assume at some level and maybe not even just 100 percent hatred, but they also love other things more than that. Right. Money, career. I mean, all the mm-hmm. the nonsense feminism has been pushing for the last forty years or fifty years. It is just social justice. Yeah, I don't so know, like you said, I just think it's important to point out because um, as Christians, we need to be aware of these um, these wolves that are amongst us, and men like this, very distinguished. Mm-hmm. He's the very type of pastor, reverend that you know all the major news outlets would love to have mm-hmm. on. He's a doctor. He's been to theological seminary school and 
He's a senator and a reverend of Martin Luther King. Boy, what a... This is a man to speak for God. Nobody looks for fruit. They're just looking at the title. That's all people trust in. Yeah, this sounds like the very uh, type of man that Francis Collins would (laughs) cozy up to to push COVID propaganda. Yeah. So just it's important to know. I just think to know that they're out there and You're to know why we're so harsh on question. Christianity. Yeah, like we're supposed to be testing anybody who teaches us. Like, I don't care how many degrees they have or titles, like, it doesn't line up with the word of God. Like, they're a false teacher. I don't care yeah, what comes what kind before of their name. would Paul write to that church? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, and the next story that we have here is also in the vein of Christianity, um, though I just found it interesting, and it kind of follows in the social justice realm, much like the Honorable Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock. Um, but this one comes from our um, authoritarian brothers to the north. If you want to read that headline. Bruxy Cavi, is that, is that right? Yep. Okay, Megatrick Pat. Mega church pastor Bruxy Cavi resigns over adultery, abuse of power. My greatest failure. And then just that. So Bruxy Cavi, the primary teaching pastor of one of Canada's largest mega churches, the Meeting House, has resigned after an independent investigation into allegations of sexual misconduct commissioned by the church last December, concluded that he abused his power. Yeah, and um, I I don't doubt that he did. He seems to come out, come right out and say that, um, mm-hmm. which is odd. Doesn't he look like a man who would never abuse his pastoral power? <laughs> I thought he was a lead singer for like a 80s rock band, rock cover band. I don't know. Oh, no. Apparently, he's a teaching pastor of a mega church in Canada. Primary sure. teaching pastor. but. Yeah, so whatever. Um, it doesn't really mean much, necessarily, this story. Um, other than just to sort of highlight what I think is that wokeness sort of infecting our churches. And again, much like the wolf of the Honorable Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock, as he would prefer to be called, um, This sort of stuff is infecting our churches as well, and we as Christians have to be on the lookout for it. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage you to become active in your churches. I think if anything that we've learned over the last couple years with in the schools and COVID, like the time for activism on our side of the house is is here now. Like the time of just sitting by quietly and getting in your prayer closet, and that's that's kind of past. I mean, you still need to do that, but you need to get out and start moving. And I would encourage you to talk to your pastors mm-hmm. about this stuff and the elders mm-hmm. of your church about these issues that are seemingly affecting so many other churches, because this is important. And if it weasels its way into your church, um, kind of like we talked about before with that racializing Jesus and mm-hmm. the potential for sort of racism to take root in churches— this wokeness is already taking root in churches yeah, and it's already definitely. sunk some churches. I mean, the Episcopal church and these sorts of things. But what I found interesting about this article is down, let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Down here a little bit. Um, this lady who did an investigation, I believe her name was uh, Danielle Strickland. 
she was one of the a pastor there so yeah i mean she was a pastor but this next line she says on wednesday strickland posted a social media video where she read a statement from the woman um identified only by the pseudonym hagar Hmm. how biblical the statement began by responding to a question someone asked during the town during the church's town meeting saying wasn't this just an affair um because making it a small matter well because it says up here um earlier in the story if i can find it um give me a second to find this where was i at oh yeah um right down here because it says this began during a pastoral counseling relationship when the woman hagar as she's known as was 23 and cavi the pastor was 46 the woman's statement reads i was in crisis and i trusted him and trust in him i did not nor could i consent to a sexual relationship with him so the wokeness here that i'm concerned about right because this lady her name is maggie john and she did an investigation and found that cavi was basically guilty on all counts Basically, um, oh, let me pull it up right here. Because she says, after this um, investigation, Strickland goes on to say uh, that this is just clear or clergy sexual abuse. Um, and they basically pin all of the responsibility for this sexual relationship on Cavi. And they say that, you know, that point there, that I was in crisis, so I could not trust him, or I could not um, I consent at any point to this sexual relationship. And it's just that idea that, like, somehow she didn't sin in this situation, which they both sinned, right? In God's eyes, in the mm-hmm. holy God's eyes, both of them sinned. Was he in a position of power? Sure. Should he have known better? Absolutely. He's the pastor, he's at most fault here. But is this more the idea that, like, in this sort of woke world that we live in, this girl could be completely absolved of all her faults in this? Well, because she was there for counseling and he took took advantage of her. I just can't get behind that um, because there is no, like, repentance and there's no salvation if you don't accept your own wrong here. Right. And if you're telling this girl, like, no, honey, you did no wrong here. This was all his fault. You did nothing. You were incapable of stopping this. No, man, she, she has, sinned too. She has sinned and she's not going to repent. She's right. saying she's without sin. And that's so, the danger. Yeah. And yes, Cavi, the uh, the 80s uh, cover band lead guitarist. But so they were one-on-one counseling, which is, I mean, if that's the case, that should never be. If you're, if you're in a position, it doesn't matter. Men and women right. don't and ever do counseling alone. I would agree with together. that. Together, I mean, there's probably a million if things you're a wrong pastor. with this story. Yeah, and I don't believe that Cavi was probably a good guy. I mean, if it sounds like the situation went on for years and years, or I don't, it doesn't really highlight if it was just a one-time thing or if it went on and on. But, um, yeah, because mm. she says this for me was not an extramarital affair. Um, 
It was a devastating twisting of pastoral care into sexual abuse. And it's just the idea that like, we're going to alleviate as a Christian community, not that we shouldn't hold people accountable, but you got to call everybody to repentance. You can't mm -hmm. just say like, no, no, your sin doesn't matter. You didn't sin here. Like, no, I mean, we all got to be held to account. We all got to be corrected for our faults. Um, so it's just mm -hmm. something to look out for. Yeah, because I don't know if it was a one-time thing. If it happened at once, I didn't read the whole article. I didn't see them actually highlight whether this was an ongoing, but it made it sound like it was an ongoing Because if it affair. was ongoing, she would know that something was about to happen. The more you go, the more something's developing. Right, and the idea that the she's 23 years old. She's not a child. This isn't, you know, the Catholic church. Um, you know, saga from years ago where these priests were taking advantage of children. That's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. This is a grown woman, um, which, you know, again, we're told they're every bit are equal, right? They are girl power. Yeah. They can lead the world. <laughs> I mean, they can even be the pastor of Cavie's church. as Maggie Strickland was. So again, not trying to make fun of this and obviously horrible. But just the idea that we're letting this sort of social justice, me too movement type stuff, like we or work its way into our churches. We got to be careful for that. We got to yes. protect our house. Um, and then the last bit of bad news that we want to touch on here is this story that when I listened to just sort of hit me um, a certain way, maybe because we're sort of working our way through deadly sins here. And we've talked about some of this stuff that seemed very prominent. Um, and it's from the world of sports, which I still, for some reason, love and cling to. Um, but this one comes from the blaze. And if you want to read the headline. Yep. Uh, Whitlock to protect his brand, Russell Westbrook, Nike and ESPN channel jesse smollett yeah so this is obviously jason whitlock sort of taking a dig at the story here but if you want to read this paragraph says i've kind of let it go in the past because it never really bothered me westbrook told reporters but it really kind of hit me the other day me and my wife were at teacher parent conference for my son and the teacher told me noah he's He's so proud of his last name. He writes it everywhere. He writes it on everything. He tells everybody and walks around and says, I'm Westbrook. I kind of sat there in shock and it hit me. And I can no longer allow people to call me Westbrook and shaming my kids. Yeah, so sort of the history of this, I guess, Russell Westbrook, point guard for the Los Angeles Lakers, probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame NBA player. Um, sort of went on a, uh, I think it was just answering questions maybe after a game. And he decided to say this, you know, like, Hey, I can no longer allow people. They called him West brick because he misses a lot of shots. He's not a good jump shooter. So he lays a lot of bricks, right? That's a basketball term. Um, but he's saying he's putting a stop to people making fun of his last name because of the way it affects his children. And you might hear that and go, that sounds like a good dad protecting his name. But when it hit me and when I was listening to it, and I listened to Jason Whitlock sort of break this down, was like, why is no athlete or celebrity um, really ever concerned about the other side of this, um, this idea? You know, so here's Russell Westbrook, probably worth 
well in excess of $100 million. Um, they're more concerned with people making fun of him and the impact that that's going to have on his children, but they're not at all concerned about the impact of every other person on earth fawning over them with endless praise and adoration, you know, that accompanies all of these professional athletes and celebrities. They're not concerned with that at all. Um, so it's like, they'll just soak it up, right? Endlessly. You'll never hear a professional athlete get up and go, hey, I'm just a man. You know, I just, I'm just good at basketball, but that's not something that's worth, you know, being a fanatic over. Um, you know, I shouldn't be your child's role model or anything like that. You never hear these people say that. You never hear these celebrities say that. At least, you know, none that you can really um, focus on. But yeah, they just, their pride and their ego just sort of soaks all of this up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's always been the case, right, with professional athletes, but I just think that it's getting worse now from all angles. Well, like, um, what's he going to do, though, if people still make that joke with his name? And like, what's his plan? How is he going to? That's where it could get dangerous. I mean, we just yeah. don't know. Um, like, he needs to teach his son, so like, if his son hears people making fun of their name or whatever, like, you're the same as everybody else. Right. There's nothing and special. You would also teach them that, you know, this is sort of the price of fame, right? This is the price of being a Westbrook that you're so proud of. You know, people are very passionate. Like this is a, a teaching opportunity, but rather than teaching him about humility and mm -hmm. um, all these sorts of life, life lessons, it's just about like, who are these people to make fun of me? You Don't know, they know who I am? You know what matters is like, he should care about the character of his son, not about what other people say about him, because it's about the character behind your name that matters. Just like we bear God's name. We are representatives of God. So we don't want to bring shame to his name by the way we live. We're just thinking about it that way. Like, no, we why shouldn't. do you care that people only recognize you, your name, for your talent? Or do you want people to recognize your name? And honor you because you are an honorable person. You have good character. Like from a Christian view, you want people to think of you and not just say, oh, honor that person because of they're good at this or that. It's like, right. And I don't know if Russell Westbrook is a Christian. I would assume he's not. I would just take a wild guess. But um, is that a reason to honor his name because, no, because but I he's think a that, famous basketball player? No. It's not. That's what obviously. I mean, obviously. But. but I think, again, that's why this stuff is being, I think, over exaggerated in today's world. Um, because I, you know, professional athletes, right? They've generally always been rich compared to normal society. Um, but I just looked up the numbers just to make sure, like, um, you know, because again, they, they've always been rich, right? But like nowadays, professional athletes are, they're richer than kings. I mean, they're, yeah. they make so much money. Uh, Russell Westbrook is making $44 million this year, and he's going to make $47 million next year, and he's not even playing good. Like, that's the crazy thing. <laughs> um, just to put that in perspective, he's going to be making, what is that, $93 million in the next two years? Michael Jordan made $93 million in his entire career, and that's the greatest basketball player of all time. Now, granted, different era a little bit, 
but average players off the bench in the NBA are going to make more than $93 million in five to six years. I mean, that's nothing. That's chump change nowadays. And these great players like the Russell Westbrooks, LeBron James, they're going to make double that in five to six years. They're, they're going to sign $200 million contracts for five to six years of basketball. LeBron James is on pace to be a billion-dollar athlete. So, like, these are the elites of the elite on the entire globe. They are not just, like, the kid from the hood playing ball. Russell Westbrook is amongst the most elite people on the entire planet. Um, so I just think because we're talking about the seven deadly sins and I saw this and I thought, man, this really highlights what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, the sin of vainglory, obviously seeking that constant mm-hmm. adoration and praise. Yeah. Um, but then also that underlying sin that underpins all of these deadly sins, which is pride. And you can see that pride welling up in Russell Westbrook and probably so many of these other people where hey, man, you want to tell me how great I am? I want to be surrounded by yes men all day long. But you have someone come around and just go, what's up, Westbrook? And you're like, no, who is this slug to talk to Russell Westbrook that way? Don't you know who he is? Um, And I just thought, you know, for Christians, again, it's important that we learn these lessons and teach them to our children to sort of Mm -hmm. point out sin in others, what it looks like. Because so often we don't, we can maybe recognize that something's wrong, but we don't know why. So you point out like, hey, that's a sin of pride. That's what it looks like. Um, So you can kind of pray for it and learn to avoid it. And then also Mm -hmm. so you can um, point out the opposite, right? The way that godly men are supposed to look and act. And, you know, reading this story, I remember because we've just been talking about this in our church for our Sunday school going through Acts. And in Acts 3, um, verse 12 and 13, if you want to read that baby. It says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in his name by faith in his name has made this man strong. Yeah, so here's the counter to Russell Westbrook's pride and vainglory is Peter and Paul literally doing something miraculous, far more miraculous than being good at basketball. They heal a man's arm and the whole crowd gathers around is like, whoa, what is this? And what do they do? They immediately point to Jesus. Mm -hmm. They're like, whoa, 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 do not look at us. That person you rejected, that's who's responsible. Mm -hmm. Like that's that godly mindset, that humility. Um, Because again, the whole idea of, vain and or vainglory and pride and why it's sinful is because it seeks to take attention and glory away from God and have it focused on you. Mm -hmm. And that is sinful. So I just think it's important story to sort of point out and, you know, just highlight, right? Because we should recognize sin, see it for what it is and point it out so that we are aware of it in our own lives and stuff like that. So yeah, the story I thought was really yeah. interesting to me. Um, and pray for Russell Westbrook. Pray that he would be humble. Yeah, and that his kid would learn that lesson. Right, um, right. He's not gonna be raising him. Right. I don't know how old his kid is, but no, because as bad as you think these professional athletes and celebrities are, I mean, we all know the stories of these children that grow up this way mm. in these uber rich, uber famous famous families. I mean, God have mercy on them. Their lives are it would seem like they're really blessed. They're just, they're set up for failure in so many ways. Um, it's really awful. So 
we do want to end on a spot of good news. And if you want to read this headline, honey, because we are running long. I know. Idaho trans bill makes it illegal to take teens out of state for treatment. Yeah. So this one says, uh, oh, you want to read that? Sure. Uh, the HB 675 bill would make it a crime punishable by life in prison not only to provide the trans-related gender treatment, but to provide permission for a minor to receive it or to permit a minor to travel out of state to receive it. An advocacy group said it was one of hundreds of anti-LGBTQ plus bills under consideration by state legislators across the U.S. So if this uh, HB 675 is enacted, it will be considered a felony to provide gender care to transgender youth, including hormones. Yeah. So this is sort of the counterpunch to what Canada just passed in Mm -hmm. their C4 bill where they banned and made it illegal to provide gender um, counseling. Yeah, like gender, I can't think of the name, gender counseling basically for uh, youth. Here, Idaho has just made it illegal to actually pursue gender like reassignment surgery and counseling for your youth. This doesn't mean that what trans adults do that's completely right. up to them, this but this minors. is affecting youth. Um, and this is really the steps that we need to take. So kudos for Idaho leading the way in the nation yeah. of, you know, making these laws because we've talked about this before, you know, the leaders of our country are every bit Canada's leaders. We just yeah. have a system of government in place that allows us to put more restraints on them. Uh, but don't think for a second that they don't also want to do what Canada's doing. Right. Um, and then down here, this doctor, um, uh, let me see if I can find it. Oh, right here. (laughs) It made me laugh. She said, uh, an Idaho doctor has had to assist three transgender youth related to their suicide attempts since this bill has been introduced. Hi. She says, we need to trust those parents and providers to make these deeply personal decisions this lady's name said. And I thought, boy, that's interesting. I wonder if she would believe that to be true when it comes to vaccinating your children. (laughs) Of course not, right? Jab them kids, jab them, give them boosters. But in this area, you need to trust the parents. Uh, Ah, The hypocrite. I know. Always, always with us. (laughs) So that's it for the news for the day. It was disgusting, made me feel awful, but we ended on a good note. So that's good. There's some good still. And yeah. We still have time to try to squeeze in our biblical topic here <laughs> because I do want to get to this. So yeah. um, do you have any last thoughts on the news that we talked about other than needing a shower? No, I All don't right. want to talk anymore on it. <laughs> yes, our politics is disgusting. <laughs> but so this week, um, we're taking a look at the third of our seven deadly sins. So again, so far we have discussed vainglory. Um, which we loosely tie with aver or with pride, mm-hmm. and that countering virtue was humility, right? I think so. Yeah, and then we looked at avarice, which is loosely tied with greed, although different. And that countering virtue was liberality. Yeah. So right. this week we're on envy, and you can go and check out those episodes again, like we talked about. Give them a listen to kind of see where we're at. Um sort of stave off those things in your own life. But 
Today it's envy, and we'll also end by looking at its countering virtue. So first, we want to make sure that we point out why envy is or envy is a sin. Um, and I think it's a sin because it makes you ungrateful mm-hmm. for what God has given you. Um, if we go to Matthew 25, verse 15, if you want to read that. As to one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Yep. Hmm. So who gives out the uh, bag <laughs> of talents? God does, right? So it is funny. Like, why would you envy, you know, someone? Like, do you really want what they have? It's according to your ability. Yeah. So I think that's really why think it makes it, it a sin, right? Because you look at what God gave you and what he gave someone else and you go, well, why didn't you give me what he has and not appreciating what God gave you? Like or You can't handle it yet. <laughs> yeah. So it almost, it puts you in the position to need to fix what God has determined mm-hmm. or what God's decided. And I think also, you know, you can tie envy and covetousness close together. I mean, they're sort of brother and sister sins here. Um, but also, you know, you can go back to the very beginning with envy, I think, in Genesis 3. I think the very first sin was a little bit of, a, I mean, there's probably a lot of sins there, but I think envy was part of it. You know, why should he have all the knowledge? Mm-hmm. You know, why should only God know of good and evil? You can be like him, mm-hmm. you know? So if you want to go to Genesis 3 and read that, honey. <laughs> um, but the serpent said Oh, wait, it, sorry, no. Which verse? Uh, what did it, it was, uh... Genesis 3. Yeah, five. Sorry, not four. Okay. Well, it says, well, to finish off four, he said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It was like they didn't know evil yet. They only knew good. What's evil? I want to know about that. Yeah, like, I mean, (laughs) God knows all of it. He knows good and evil. And you're like, well, I want to know good and evil too. I want to know what he knows. I mean, obviously I think there's bigger sins there, but I do think envy was present. Like you can envy someone for their, because of their knowledge, they have more knowledge than you. Right. I mean, you can envy people yeah. for a myriad of things. So um, just looking at that, like what is envy? Um, and we just pulled our biblehub.com dictionary. And it says that envy is chagrin, mortification, discontent or uneasiness at the sight of another's excellence or good fortune accompanied with some degree of hatred and a desire to possess equal advantages. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that part there, I really liked it where it talks about some degree of hatred, Mm -hmm. because I definitely think that envy leads you to a place of hatred Mm -hmm. um, very quickly. I agree. Yeah. I don't know. I just think about chasing after envy is like, it's like a life of, of death. Like envy is like covetousness. Um, like it starts with coveting what someone has, whether it's like a possession or like I said, like knowledge or someone's, um, their own talent or abilities really. But for the serpent saying you will not die, like you will die. You're like, living a miserable life, um, envying somebody. So you're just focused on 
what you don't have, and then it causes you to to hate the person. Like it's directed at the person, envy. You hate them for having what you don't have. So it's like sin births death, but even the allure of things uh, we envy, that we envy after, covet, um, cause decay in us, really. And it leaves, it just leaves us unsatisfied. So we constantly feel like those things, if we could get them, it would bring us joy. But once we have them, we're not satisfied. It's just chasing after the flesh. You're never going to be satisfied. So just being content, thanking God for what you do have. I think everybody deals with this. Like it is so hard to be content, but you're always looking who has what I want. And then how do you view that person now? Yeah. And I like that you said that because typically I think Mo, you know, envy, envy is kind of mostly directed at a person, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, generally. Um, but I think what's sad too is like we've gotten to the point, and it's not new, but like we have funny little quips about the sin of envy, you know, like, oh, the grass is always greener, you know, like this is a quote that we say about envy, like it's almost funny. Well, everyone knows, you know, or whatever. Like, mm. I don't think it's anything funny. I mean, obviously, I'm guilty of it myself, but like. Yeah, that sin of envy so often leads to hatred of people. And like you said, that decay in ourself and like it brings grief on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely something that can lead to death. So uh, just looking at like, how do we see envy today? And I think like all sin, you know, when it's full grown, we see that it leads to death. Um, you know, when you go to the extreme of envy, right? You can see envy leads to murder. You know, mm-hmm. there's those stories where people are envious of people, what they have or whatever, and it leads to murder. I mean, that's a far extreme, but I think that's like, what is it, Hallmark? Is that the channel <laughs> where it's like the the love sick or like estranged girlfriend or whatever, like the extramarital affair, there's and then she goes and kills kind of- the. That's I like, don't know if there's murder on Hallmark. They're more like what's that channel? Is it like Lifetime? Lifetime? Probably Lifetime it's or something. Lifetime. I don't know. I don't. Hallmark's watch all that. Christmas movies. I like Hallmark. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, like, but even to a lesser extent, um, like fractured relationships, even from a young age, like middle school, the guy you like pays more attention to your friend, and you become envious and. And with the rise of social media now, uh, society gives us plenty of, of plenty of chances to indulge in envy. That's a really bad one. Right. Um, just think about how we've talked uh, social media and vain glory. That that vain glory that you seek on social media is actually driving you to desire making others envious of you. That whole it yeah. really is. It's so wicked when you think about it. And yeah, like the whole <sighs> platform, like the whole idea of a social media influencer is like, I'm going to make envy a business model. Yeah. It's very twisted and, and bizarre. There's been people who've come out of that and talked about how phony they were and oh, it's that all they told, I mean, they've confessed and they feel guilty for portraying their life or the way they look or whatever it is and, and causing all these people to just like worship them in a sense for their beauty or whatever it is they got going on. No, but that's good that they come out of it and confess it. Like 
you know, we were thinking when we were talking about this, like the social media envy aspect, but even like in your daily life, you know, we work out and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, we're always as married couples, like we're worried about the girls at the gym for the guys and the guys at the gym for the girls, you know, the way they're dressed. But in all actuality, like the guys at the gym are more focused on the other guys at the gym because they want them to be aware of your strength, like envious of what you're lifting or like Mm. we might notice the girl and appreciate it, but really because maybe it's just because there's more guys there that you're like, no, I want them to see like my workout that I'm strong. Like, you know, they may not ever say it, but that's the mindset that like, now I'm gonna show these other guys up with what I'm doing. Like I'm going to make them envious of my lifts. And it's a very twisted thing. It Um, is twisted. But girls are the same way. I'm sure when they're dressed all, you know, super, uh, lustfully i'm sure a lot of times it's to make other girls aware of them to be envious of yeah what i got going on i've had a friend tell me that before and i never really thought about it until she pointed it out like girls get all dressed up it's for other girls like just to let them know i'm the most beautiful in the room or yeah it's that's not like the a, goal like it's, it's not a sexual thing but it's like a yeah it's an envy thing like i want them your heart out yeah, and it isn't that thing. Like, Your if you got me. it, you should flaunt it. Like, no, if you got it and you want to flaunt it, you're saying I'm trying to cause other people to be envious of of what I have you going on. No better than that. Modesty is not a Christian virtue in this country anymore. And if you tell a woman that she's to be modest, how dare you? How dare you? It is not her fault that you look lustfully at her when she's dressed in a thong bikini at the beach. That is your fault, sir. We all know (laughs) from American Christianity. So um, with the Bible, obviously talks about envy. Um, So we just wanted to pull up a couple verses here. There's a lot of verses on envy in the Bible. um, But the first one that we have here, uh, one of uh, the most terrifying verses in all of Scripture, (laughs) here in Matthew 18, chapter, chapter 18, verse 7, where Jesus says, For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that should give you... That's a very good one. uh, ...should stop your heart to think about when you're trying to make somebody envious. Woe to the person that brings temptation. If you're bringing a temptation, you didn't realize you were bringing a temptation. We all do. Let's... (laughs) There are times, sure, when you may... Yeah. Like, oh, well, I was eating a Hershey's bar. And I didn't realize that that lady had a unnatural desire for chocolate. I mean, how would I know? <gasps> yeah, sure. That's yeah. something. But okay, you know, when you're, I don't know, when you're presenting your fake best life now on Facebook, to your cousins that you know, are struggling through potential divorce or a yeah. rough breakup or whatever happens to be in your like, you know, I mean, we all know when this sin is present in our life. It's not sneaking up on us by and large social media is just the worst for it you're on social media it really is good lord um and then this next verse here if you want to read this one it's proverbs 14 30 uh says a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh but envy makes the bones rot i love that because we talk about that (laughs) inner decay and the grief and you let envy get in it just rots your bones um Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, because again, like we said, envy, once it's full grown, can lead to, I mean, it can lead to death, right? And it can lead to 
we've seen the far extremes on the Lifetime movies and, you know, the true crime Netflix dramas and stuff that people go to these ends, but yeah, it can rot your bones. So we did want to highlight because envy and covetousness are such closely related sins that we wanted to point out sort of what's the difference between envy and covetousness. And we're going to cover covetousness because I do believe that that is one of the deadly sins as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't have them all right on the top of my head here, but uh, yeah, well, why would you envy somebody you weren't coveting? Yeah. I mean, they're pretty closely tied here. So, but envy um, is more that hatred of the individual, Mm -hmm. whereas covetousness is the desire for the thing, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, covetousness a lot of times leads you into envy um, that way, but they are different in that sense. So uh, with all deadly sins, though, there are countering virtues that are associated with these. So we just wanted to touch on what the countering virtue to envy is. And we're told when we look this up that kindness is the counter to envy, uh, which sort of makes sense, mm-hmm. right? And kindness, which is also a fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you envy someone, it causes hatred in your heart towards them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to obviously come out and, you know, they'll see it in the form of maybe not wanting to fellowship with that person, or even maybe as a Christian, you may not want to help them in their time of need. Right. Um, so that can be what envy sort of leads to. And um, that's quite easily against scripture, right? Because the Bible tells us to be kind to our enemies in Luke 6, right. 27, if you want to read that verse. Because by say to you uh, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. kindness. And is... if you know someone is envious of you, I mean, this goes both ways. Like, who's your enemy? You might see the person you are envying as your enemy, and it'll be hard to show kindness to them. But when someone envies you, you that person who's being envied might be aware of it. And they also are commanded to do good to you for hating them, for envying them. So it's right. commandment for both people. No, I mean, yeah. it definitely is. I mean, obviously these commandments are universal and they go both ways. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, when you see that envy sort of welling up in your heart, you know, that should lead you to a place of remembering this sort of verse that like, hey, man, this is really bothering me. Or I'm really having a, the way I feel about this person mm-hmm. does not feel loving or godly. You know, that should stir in your mind. Like, how am I supposed to treat people that I feel this way about? Like, oh, I'm supposed to do good to them. Or is it a brother or is it an unbeliever? Because we're not supposed to envy unbelievers, right? And the reverse for that. Do not desire or, I don't know, be, I think it does say envious. If you know that verse, leave us a comment. I know. I looked it up. Well, Um, came across it. But we're not supposed to envy unbelievers. I know that when it comes to envying a brother. And like, like that verse you had earlier, like one person was given this many, this much money or whatever it was. Right. According to each one's ability. So knowing that and just trusting that God gives according to ability and you're telling God like, Hey, I can handle what they got. I'm the same as them. Right. I mean, I would assume, yeah, you should, but if anybody that you're envious of, it should not be a brother or sister in Christ. Right. Um, But yeah, even more so, like, why would we be envious of someone who isn't even in the faith? 
when we know right. what their lot in eternity Let may be. Let them have the world. I mean, we get Christ. We get eternity with Christ. Like, yeah. why would we worry? Like, let them enjoy it. That's all they got. Yeah, so I think that feeling of envy, if it prompts you into that mindset of kindness, um, I mean, mm-hmm. that's good because we should be praying for them. We should be kind mm-hmm. to them even when we don't feel like it. Um, but really, I mean, this starts with bringing your heart, you know, uh, before God, right? You know, with whatever envy that you might have going on in there. Because, um, you know, you if you're open to God with it, right, he may give you the opportunity to show kindness mm-hmm. to this type of person. But when you get to know people, though, like, you might envy somebody of the faith, um, but you don't really know them. You don't know their struggles or... And once you get to know someone and what they're dealing with or any hardship in their life, it really fills you with compassion for them. And you'd be like, yeah, they deserve that. Oh, I yeah. would not trade my life with them. No, like, I think that's absolutely that's true. Even with these super wealthy celebrities, like the Russell Westbrook we talked about. Honestly, if you probably knew what his life was like, this constant like fame. I mean, fame is basically a sickness. And like just mm. that constant intrusion on your personal life and the bombardment and like always needing to like present yourself and put on a show. And like, I bet you it weighs really heavy on yeah. them. And really when you're like, nah, yeah. man, I just want to go home and like relax. Like, yeah, it'd be nice to have a lot of money, but yeah. I couldn't imagine. I, I would know. not want that really life. Not for me. I don't so. care what riches come with it. Like, I don't want to be known by too many people. <laughs> no, I just want to be left alone. Yeah. Which probably isn't that godly either. No, I know, but, but for the fame part of it, for yeah. keeping up with, you know, entertaining people or whatever. So. But yeah, we just wanted to say like, you know, much like all these virtues that counter the sin, um, but kindness in particular, I guess it's because it's a fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't have the spirit abiding in you, uh, you won't be able to be moved to a place of kindness, mm-hmm, you know? True. So if you're finding that kindness is hard to come by in your life, it may be a warning sign, you know, if you are in the faith to get down on your knees or I be called to repentance um, for that cry out to God, you know? And if, if you aren't a believer, I don't really know what hope you have to find kindness because it is spirit produced in us. I mean, That's apart right. from the spirit moving and working in us, we're, we're dead in our sin, right? So uh, there may be spurts of kindness, but it won't be sort of a uh, mm. an ever-flowing sort of presence. So, yeah, I would say well, if yeah. you find kindness is a hard trait for you to have, you need to start crying out to God for that, um, praying for it, and um, praying for opportunities to grow in your kindness. And like you said, it's from the Holy Spirit. And it's really good verse here that actually a couple people shared this today. I don't know if it was maybe going around because of the Bible app, whatever the verse of the day, but um, asking for the Holy Spirit, like you can't show kindness. Really, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So this verse, Luke eleven thirteen. if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I actually use this verse today just with the kids. Um, 
just asking God for those good spiritual things. I need help. I'm weak in this area. I'm, you know, the kids aren't kind to one another. Let's ask God for help with this. We are weak. Our flesh is weak. We we need him just to be nice to one another. <laughs> no, and I agree on that. So um, just wanted to end with that. Do you have any last thoughts before we dive into our sermon recommendation on the news topics, the biblical topics, the virtue? No. Okay. Um, yeah, just we're all liable for this. We're all guilty of this at different times in our life. I mean, no one's going to be like, I've conquered envy and I no. walk in pure kindness. So, you know, we all need to be aware of it when those feelings are beginning to well up in us. And it should be a reminder, you know, hopefully to be um, draw us back into prayer, close relationship with God, repentance for where we've gone astray, and then just get back on the horse because we're all going to, you know, keep stumbling until we, you know, make it out of this world. Yeah. So uh, our sermon recommendation for this week, as I mentioned, kind of ties in a little bit with our first story on the central bank digital currencies. And that is, uh, we had one of our members on Facebook um, offer this up to us. We gave it a listen and it's really good. Charlie Kirk, I don't know what church he's at, but he's sort of discussing the global, uh, the great reset, if you will. And um, that I do like because Charlie Kirk is, I think he's the founder or the president of Turning Point USA, which is sort of a Christian conservative youth-based movement in the country. So he is a, a Christian. I don't know how deep or what level his faith is, but I don't really care. He's a Christian so far as I know. And the points that he makes in this talk are really good. And um, if you are unsure of, I guess, the global reset and why it matters to Christians, definitely give this a listen. Uh, I think it's worth your time. It's kind of long, but you don't got to listen to it all at once. Break it up. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. So it was pretty good. But um, who shared that with us? He was a uh, he went to a church of ours back in we lived in Washington, Mm -hmm. old Wenatchee, (laughs) Washington. So, um, yeah. Any last thoughts, though, before we end this episode? Mm, No. All right. Yeah. Come join us on social media. We'd love to hear from you guys about name change, prayer requests. We want to pray for you if you need it. Um, prayer in any area of your life. We want to be praying for you guys. But otherwise, make sure you join us on Monday for our daily devotionals, Monday through Friday. And then we'll be back again next week. Um, You can also find links down in the show notes to the Christian Podcast community, which we are a part of now. Some other great podcasters, Christian men and women in there. And it will bless your soul, I have no doubt. So until next time, God bless. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov careers slash USBP.